text I've chosen for the sermon this morning is Genesis 1, the verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The congregation will begin reading at verse 24. Genesis 1, we begin reading at verse 24. We'll read to the end of the chap chapter, but the verses 26 and 27 are the text for the sermon this morning. So starting at verse 24, there we read the word of God as follows. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then follows the two verses of the text. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we'll read on to the end of the chapter. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day so far. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 8, which we read together earlier on, the psalmist asks in verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him? What is man? That's a question a lot of people have tried to figure out over the, over the ages, right? Today there are a lot of people who are trying to answer that question purely scientifically. Many anthropologists, biologists, and paleontologists study fossils, ancient life forms, and genetics, and so on, with the intention of trying to map out the evolutionary development of man over millions of years from primate form to walking upright and finally to the homo sapiens he is today. For unbelievers, the question, what is man, is strictly a scientific question. Man is just a product of all kinds of chance things of evolutionary development over millions of years. He's just an animal which has developed special abilities and skills. But notice that David continues that question in Psalm 8 with more words. What is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man, that you visit Him, that you have anything to do with Him. For David and so for 
the spirit who was writing through David, the question of who man is, is not a purely scientific question. There is a scientific aspect to it, but it's not a purely scientific question of what man is. No, man, what man is and so where he came from is, is actually a spiritual matter. It has to do with God and with man's relationship with God. And for David and for us today, the origin and being of man is not based on scientific theory, as, but, but it's based on the Bible, God's revelation of his deeds. Only God who made everything out of nothing in the beginning can tell us about us, who we are, where we come from, where we're going, why we're here. He can, he's the only one who can tell us about these things in his word. And we're going to listen to that word of God in the text before us this morning with this theme, God created us in his image. And we see that that means in relationship with him, in relationship with this world, and in relationship with each other. So God created us, first of all, in his image that means a relationship with him. The text begins, congregation, with the words, then God said, let us make man. Then God said. And notice that was on the sixth day of creation. And notice that as the previous verses state too, on that day God had first created every living creature according to its kind, four-legged and creeping animals and every beast of the earth. And then according to the pattern of those days of creation, it says at the end of the previous verse, and God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God saw that it was good. But unlike with the previous six days of creation described in Genesis 1, we're not told, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. No, something very special is added to that sixth day, and that's written in our text about the creation of man, and it's set apart from the creation of the animals. Man is not just another kind of animal. His creation is mentioned separately in a very special way. His creation was a special act of God. Man is special to God. In fact, notice that God does something he never did before in Genesis 1. He made many things, and every time it says, let there be this, or let there be that, and it was so. Not this time, though. Not this time. This time it says that God said, let us make man. And that also shows that something very special was about to happen. And it shows that God deliberated about man's creation beforehand. You know, it's like a, when a couple of friends have been uh, deliberating about something for a while and then they say, let's do it. Expression of enthusiasm. You're about to do something exceptional. Something like that in the text. Let's make man. God is about to make something very special, something different from all the other things he created. He has deliberated it himself, 
And then also he's passionate about what he's, he's going to do, what he's going to make. This is the high point, the climax of his creation. Creation of man. Mankind, we could say even. Notice he, he uses the plural pronoun then to let us make man. God is one, but he's not alone. He's not alone. He's so great and wonderful that he deliberates and plans in himself in the plural. Let us make man in our image. And we know from what follows in the rest of Scripture that God is one being, three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That becomes clear later on. New Testament especially. It's not clear at this point in the Bible yet, but that's how unique and wonderful this God of ours is. How great His name in all the earth. Let us make man, human beings, in our image according to our likeness. And in that repetition, in our image according to our likeness, you, you as it were hear how personally and passionately God has deliberated about this final act of his creation in the beginning. People in his image and likeness. He's divinely excited about this. The man he's about to make, then we could say, is his super special creation. We are super special creations, all of us. In our image, God says, what does it mean that in our image? It doesn't mean that God created people as a kind of mini copy of himself. Remember, that was how the devil later on incited Adam and Eve to sin, by assuring them that if they ate of the fruit of that tree, they would be like God. Being created in God's image doesn't mean that we can go our own way in this world as if we're the boss of everything. We're the gods, and it doesn't also mean that we can base our way of life and, and so on on our own experiences and thoughts and reasonings and feelings and think, well, that's what God would want to, that's what some do today, and they make God in their image. Then God becomes an extension of their own desires and wishes. That's not what it is. Congregation, that God created man in his image means that God made man in such a way that man can walk and talk with God. He's compatible to God. He can be loved by God, and he can love God in return. What an awesome creation by God. God made man able to have a living relationship with him and for him to have a relationship with man. We're compatible to him. We can love, we can think, we can act in relationship with God. Awesome. Of course, only then as we also walk in love with God. 
So you see that being created in God's image means that we were created to have a special and living relationship of love with God that distinguishes us from all the other creatures. Man isn't just another more developed species of animals. He's, he's created as a child of God to have a relationship with the almighty and eternal God who is above all things and to reflect God's characteristics in his walk and talk with God. You only see that in living faith, of course, because, you know, we've gone far away from what God made us for, haven't we, brothers and sisters? Because after the fall, there's sometimes very little of that image of God left in others and ourselves. So much comes between us and God that you don't see much of God's love and righteousness and goodness and mercy reflected in us anymore. But we can't just accept that either. God still holds on to his original intention with man, the intent to enjoy this close relationship with him, the almighty relationship with man on this tiny little planet in, in the universe. God held on to that that, that whole concept, and that's why, for instance, in the New Testament, the letter of James chapter 3, there's a warning about how we talk about each other. James writes there, with our tongue we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude and the image of God. God wants us to keep seeing our fellow men as created in his image even after the fall into sin. As people who have the potential to have a relationship with him and to reflect his character, God wants us to hold on to that too. He does. He wants us to hold that too. That's how we're to see our fellow men. You realize that takes away all thought of discrimination and so on. Every person potential image of God, created in the image of God, created to have a relationship with God. God kept that original blueprint for man in his mind even after the fall, and that's because he had this plan for man. He wanted still to enjoy this relationship with people forever. He wasn't going to let go of that, that idea in his mind. He wanted that relationship, and he was going to bring it about. And he sent his son to this earth as man to restore people in his image. As it says in Hebrews 1, God sent his son who was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And he purged our sins and opened the way for us to be reconciled to God again, to be restored to the relationship of love with God. Made image bearers again. Then that that image ruined by sin is restored. And notice that line throughout the Bible then, first made in God's image, then the image ruined by sin, then Christ as man here on this planet, as a man, God's perfect image for us, then we through him more and more renewed by his spirit in, in the image, in his image, which is the image of God, 
The Apostle Paul shows that line. It's not something I dreamed up, but that's, that's shown in Scripture. He shows it, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle writes, The first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man, second Adam, Christ, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Restored to our original relationship in Christ. Congregation, as we mentioned before, evolution wants us to think that people have evolved from the animal world. We're simply more highly developed primates or so. We just don't drag our knuckles anymore. What a low, low, ignoble view of man. And no wonder then that there seems to be a declining respect for human life. No more capital punishment for those who are clearly guilty of shedding the blood of another person, whereas God said, Genesis 9, he who sheds the blood of someone by man shall his blood be shed because man is made in the image of God. And then we have a push in our society for euthanasia, the right to actively end a life when it doesn't seem as if it has any reason to live anymore, any purpose here, or when even when people are tired of it. And abortion, what a base view of human life that is. A woman's right over her own body is made to supersede the life made in God's image, originally. Made in God's image. If we believe God created man in his image, as it says in the text, and that he in Christ is restoring that image of his in us, that relationship, then you will have a healthy respect for the life of your fellow man. You see, all as people created by God to reflect His character, to be His image bearers. And then you get a proper feeling of self-worth, self-esteem. That's not self-love or egotism or so. No, it's acknowledging you were made special in God's image. the most special crea creation of God. David wrote about that Psalm 139. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. The way I think, I feel, how I move, what I love and how my brain works and the butterflies in my stomach. God made me like this. He made me like this because he wants to have this living, loving relationship with me now in Christ, the second Adam, who has restored that relationship which was broken by the first Adam. And he wants to renew that image of his in me. And he made those around me like that, too, to have that same relationship, reason 
to tell them about God and about Christ. We come to the second point that God created us in his image means also in relationship with this world. In the text, the Lord God continues his deliberation. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Again, something very special, very special. God reigns over the universe and beyond. Heavenly things too. And he wants man as his image to reign over the earth, to be his governor general here in creation. The animals and the earth would experience God's good government in man's government. That's also how it's shown in Psalm 8. You know, starting at verse 5, you've crowned man with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. What a glorious position. In spite of the fact that man is one of God's creations too, man is not only given a special place in creation as God's image, he's also given the special status and task of being caretaker and overseer of the rest of God's creation and all his creatures. You see here again that man is not just another animal. He's created to be noble, to reign over all things. Later on in Genesis 2, Adam is even given the task and authority to name the animals. But this special status and authority wasn't given to man to exploit the earth and its creatures for his own wealth and pleasure and leaving it a wilderness for the next generations. It wasn't given so he could abuse the animals for his own purposes. No, God gave it for man's good use in order to, as he later tells man, to fill the earth and subdue it. He is to take good care of God's creation, use it for his task. Consider how, how man can and has used animals to help him in that. Beasts of burden, animals to protect people, dogs to assist the blind or the handicapped, bees to pollinate orchards, animals for fur, wool, milk, or food, minerals out of the earth to make things, wonderful things, all for man. He could use those things, make the earth a place where he could live to God's glory live in that relationship with God. And in everything say, God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Noble task, congregation, but again, how sin has distorted everything. Man's place and purpose here. On the one hand, sinful man is often too blind to acknowledge his superiority over creation as the God-appointed governor of God's creatures. The man who was crowned with glory and honor in the beginning lowers himself by identifying with the animals and worshiping the creatures instead of the creator. Notice how, how animal rights today are sometimes even put on a level with and even above human rights. 
People, people lobby governments for the ethical treatment of animals which are being grown and slaughtered for food or fur. And there is good reason to treat the animals ethically, but those organizations want animals treated like people are because they're our brothers. And then they can become more concerned about saving seals and owls than they are about saving unborn babies, even at the final stages of a mother's pregnancy. On the other hand, you see the other hand, too, that we see countless ways in which man simply wastes and abuses and even neglects the resources God has provided in creation. Greed, he wants it for himself, not for God's glory, but for himself. He strips the air, pollutes the water, strips the earth of minerals and fish the seas empty. He often hasn't been the good caretaker of the earth as God appointed him to be, and the earth suffers under that. And worst of all, God's glory in, his, in creation is then obscured by all of that. Due to our fall into sin, God's good creation has become corrupted and polluted and, and congregation. We've lost control of those things very much. But thankfully, congregation, God's Son, Jesus Christ, has entered the world darkened and polluted by sin. And he came here as man, one of us, creator as a, a creature, also as the true representation of God's glory and God's image. He's given light from above so that we see our task and purpose here again. Christians of all people should be the true environmentalists who want God's glory to shine in, in everything. And not only has Christ brought the light of salvation into this fallen world, he reigns in heaven and will deliver creation itself from the dominion of sin and decay. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. There are people who today who see and worship creation as Mother Nature, and we don't accept that, don't believe in Mother Nature. But the Apostle Paul speaks of creation as a mother who is in birth pangs, giving birth, struggling because of man's sin and mismanagement, but who is in birth pangs due to the fact that there is a renewal of all things coming, new creation. When Christ returns, he will purge all sin and everything sinful and creation will be new and bright and perfect and without any effects of sin, and show God's glory. And our purpose and task, congregation, is to live now and to work here now in the hope of that renewal of our bodies and all creation. And if we endure in that hope of Christ's renewal of all things, which is coming, then it says 1 Timothy 2, then 
we will also reign with Christ over all creation, over all creatures, and then we'll be where God created us to be in the first place. Christ brings us there. Do you realize how much we need him? Genesis shows how much we need him. We come to the third point, what it means for the relationship with each other that we're created in God's image, what it means for the relationship with each other. Verse 27 of the text says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Not, it's not about God's institution of marriage. That comes later on, chapter 2. But what it says here does reach ahead to that. Notice it says that God created man, singular, and then it says male and female, he created them, plural. That shows one mankind, but two people who were different, male and female, make up that mankind. And you see here how fundamental our sexual distinctions are. Everybody has a sexual identity, male or female. Some people may have difficulty with their sexual identity. This is how we were all created, male and female. We live in a world today which seems to have a lot of difficulty with that distinction. In the past, boys wanted to be men played with toys related to the activities of men. Trucks, hammers, tools. Girls wanted to be women, and they played with dolls, and they played nurse, caregiver. Then came the age of sexual liberation and unisex clothing and haircuts, and then later came the idea that boys only wanted to be tough, and girls only wanted to be caregivers because of their upbringing. Their upbringing put that in them, and so their upbringing should be gender neutral. And nowadays it's come to the point where there are parents even who want to raise their children completely gender neutral. In name and in, in what they, they, they play with and what they do, neither as male nor female. It's an attempt to try to eliminate gender distinctions in society. What a mixed up world. Because instead of making the world friendlier for people, it becomes a more confusing place for kids to grow up in. What am I? What's my identity? Congregation, the best way to move forward together as men and women is if we begin with our relationship to God. He created us in His image male and female, and that points to two things. First, men and women are equal before God. And secondly, men and women are different to God. Different. First, they're equal. God made both man and woman in His image. So there's no sense of superiority or inferiority here. In the past, women were considered men's property and inferior then. Today, it can sometimes be the other way around. Women portrayed as superior. See that in movies. 
but men and women are equal. Both are sinners in need of a Savior. As Paul writes, Romans 3, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's no difference as far as salvation is concerned either. The same apostle writes in Galatians that in Christ there is neither male nor female. Equal in Christ. Equal in salvation. They need the same salvation in Christ. So men should not degrade women and women not degrade men. And you know that happens today in this fallen world. It happens in the pornography industry. It happens in advertising, in violence against women, in a thousand negative thoughts and comments about the opposite sex. But God made men and women equal both precious in his sight. Equal does not mean identical, though. Men and women are also different, created that way by God. In the account of creation, you notice that male is mentioned first. Man was created before woman. And that's not an indication of superiority or inferiority here, but it indicates a difference in roles. Genesis 2, it says God put the man in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And later it says that it is not good. God says it is not good for the man to be alone. And then he adds, I will make him a helper suitable for him. A helper. And then God made a woman from the rib of man and gave her to the man. The man is called to leadership and the woman to helpership, if I can call it that. And you see those roles reflected throughout the Bible in the New Testament, and in particular in family and church situations. For instance, 1 Timothy 2, the apostle writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For, he adds there, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Notice how he bases it on God's creation of male and female. But as I mentioned before, the, the, today the push is on to erase that distinction between the sexes as much as possible. The ideal seems to be today a gender-neutral society. And sadly, as I also mentioned, this it only leads to more and more confusion about sexuality and so on. It's no wonder. It's no wonder of that whole push for homosexual marriage and so on. And transgender people who can choose their own sexuality, very confusing. Sin has, our sins have messed up so much. Also in this regard, again though, again, what a wonderful thing. Jesus Christ, by his cross, brings the distinction in the roles of men and women into proper focus again. What would we do without him? This creation would be going downhill and downhill, and there would be no hope. But Jesus Christ, also in this, brings that distinction to light again as God created it in the beginning. And 
1 Corinthians 11, the apostle speaks of the man being head of the woman as Christ is the head of the man. Christ, the example. Brings also Christ to the fore as the example of submission when he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Christ is a model for the renewed roles for both men and women. We are in Christ called to live as, as men and as women in God's intended way. So God made male and female in the beginning equal, but also different. And that's the beauty of what God did on the sixth day of creation too when he made man and woman. He made them that way so they would be also then interdependent. That's the beauty of it. I think again of 1 Corinthians 11, where the apostle clearly expresses that. He writes in verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of the man in the Lord. Christ brings about that, that distinction so that men and women work together again, are interdependent. Not independent, but interdependent. Christ has restored the right relationship of men and women. They need each other. And not just in marriage. Not everybody marries. But in the church and in society, men and women need each other. The way they were made. They complement each other. That's the way God made it. Created for each other to the glory of God in the beginning. But because of sin, what has come about is competition and conflict and division and in marriage is also divorce. But we need each other, male and female. And through Christ, we can begin to experience the blessing of our unity and interdependence in the love of God. Through Christ, we can more and more be renewed to the image of God, to living in love with God and with each other, male and female. And then we can work together in our task to fill and subdue this earth to God's glory. If we work at that as men and women in Christ, then we all know who we need to be and what to do. And as Christ renews us after his image more and more, we may believe that we'll also reign with him over all creatures as kings and queens. Amazing, isn't it? What the almighty and eternal God made us, made us in his image, wants to restore that image through Christ. Amazing that Christ brings us back to that again, even more gloriously than in the beginning. So in the words of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Amen.